Hello and welcome to Ava's Cozy Corner. This is an experimental Shut Up and Sit Down podcast episode where I'm just going to be taking you on a little wander through some of the coziest games I've found this year. That's right, it's just me. Uh, you've not got the uh, sweet tones of Tom squawking about whatever he's upset about this week. You've not got Quinns occasionally getting randomly angry and laughing louder than anyone has ever laughed. Bless that boy. You don't even have Matt and his strange flights of fancy and wonderful knowledge of weird little bits. You are stuck with Ava and all I've got for you is a lovely cup of tea and a little walk in the park. So, let's start this cosy podcast off with a little trip for, hmm, let's just have a little wonder in the garden. In front of you, there is a patch of squares, a colourful array of options, each card arranged like a flower bed in front of you. Some are upside down, showing only a gently floral blue card back, but the rest are awash with colours and flowers and icons and shapes. A statue, a chrysanthemum, don't worry, they call them mums so you don't have to learn how to spell. A desire. All of these cards are this gentle, cosy wash of watercolours. Standing at the side are the tiny, brightly coloured pawns with the flared bases that represent your characters. These are bright colours in different shapes, they all look a little bit rude. Whoever is closest to the top of the grid goes next, choosing which of the first column of cards they are going to take. You move the token to that spot, take the card, and the next person takes their turn. You repeat this back and forth across the cards a couple of times, taking a card and moving your pawn into a position that will determine the turn order for the next round. This is floriferous. Floriferous. Oh, I'm going to struggle saying that word. Titularly, it's a follow-up to Herbaceous and sees the same team working for Pencil First Games, who are really building a rep for this stuff. Eduardo Baraf, Steve Finn and Beth Sobel really are the ground force of cozy garden games for the American listeners. Ground force is a uh, tedious but cozy... Oh, no, because that sounds like I'm calling them tedious. No, 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 that's not cosy. Ground Force is just one of those cosy British TV shows that I feel like wouldn't happen anywhere else. I don't know if Americans realise this, but British TV is not always punchy and fast-paced and interesting. It's more often just like three middle-aged people pottering about a garden, having a discussion about something and like looking at nice things. I've never watched Ground Force, so... I shouldn't really have this much opinions about it. But gardening shows, gardening shows, looking at plants. Oh, I'm getting away with myself. Floriferous has a couple of threads that it's taken from the last game I played by Pencil First Games, the Whatnot Cabinet. Actions and turn order are tied together in every decision. Whatever you want to take will also be how fast you're going to go in the next turn. We've seen this in King Domino as well. But here there's more forward planning because you do know what is coming up or at least you know some of it some of the cards are face down some of them are face up if you know that there's something visible that you absolutely need to make your plan then you can take the card that's at the top and take your plan you know you'll be going first 
or someone else might be going first now and doing that before you and the card at the top might not be what you want it might be upside down maybe you don't know some of the ones down at the bottom if you're willing to take a lower turn order have got an extra little treat on them you can see how there's some lovely decisions in this garden what you're going to pick what you're going to pluck out of the ground is something that you do actually have to think about this isn't really like gardening, actually. It's more like going to a garden centre, the cosiest of Sunday afternoons, just perusing plants and looking at fish, and maybe just comparing your trolley on the way back. Nothing is sharp here. You collect flowers and statues and scoring criteria themselves. Some of the cards, these desire cards, just say, oh, do you know what? I really want my flower arrangement to have loads of different colours in it. I want my garden to be colourful as possible. Or, oh, I just adore the colour red, so I will make everything red and I will be happy forever. There's a couple of goals that everyone is pushing for, but really, this is all there is. It's a very simple game. It teaches very quickly, plays in a couple of minutes, and all you're going to do is be like, oh, that's lovely art and a nice little puzzle. And it's got a nice little touch of you uh, move the pawns to the right through all of these cards. And then you fill up the cards again. And then you just move the pawns to the left again. So you're just having this walk back and forth across the options and picking what you want. I don't think this game is going to bowl anyone over. But it did remind me of how much I like flowers. It's just a gentle vibe, and I think that's probably what you're looking for when you pick up a game with this many flowers on the cover. Right, okay, so we thought we were in a garden, but it turned out it was a garden centre. Maybe we should just hop on our bike and see if we can find something down in the woods. Yeah, let's have a little cycle down the canal. Panniers full of flowers. Bit early for the pub, but but what's that in the clearing there? Ooh, ooh, is that a little bakery nestled in the woods? Ooh, I could go for a pastry. Kim Joy's Magical Bakery is a pink and pastel confection. Again, we've got this array of cards, but this time one of them is a queue of curious characters looking for feeding, a recipe book, those things that they might want to be fed, and a pantry full of ingredients. Here players are working together. This is a co-op game running the bakery of the magical Bake Off alumnus herself. Again, as we appear to be sticking with having to explain British TV to people, I think everyone knows what Bake Off is by now, but Kim Joy was an early favourite in the Great British Bake Off. And uh, I think everyone loves her? I don't know. I haven't really watched much Bake Off because I can't really handle um, reality TV show editing. It, it just makes me quite anxious. That's not cosy. Let's not think about anxiety. Let's put our feet up and wait for a lovely pastry. Oh wait, I should probably talk about the game. The rules are simple and inviting and right on the border of intuitive. You have some ingredients. If you collect the right ones to make a recipe, you can make a recipe. But the recipes are sometimes just for other cooking elements. You would mix sugar and butter to get some icing, or you might mix butter and flour to get some pastry. Once you've got both of those though, some icing and some pastry made out of some sugar and butter and butter and flour, and that's an entire Danish. That's all this game is. There's ingredients that you mix with each other to make more complicated ingredients that you mix together to make more complicated recipes, and then sell them to someone. But each of these actions takes an action and you've only got a few on your turn and once everyone's had a turn a new customer appears. 
Will you be able to complete those recipes before the queue fills up? Well, at, at least at the start, probably yes. Th this is a welcome, inviting family game through and through, with rules that could have been brutal toned down to a gentleness. It's got the tiniest thread of stuff in common with Pandemic, where you are fundamentally trying to get a load of cards to the right people to be able to cure diseases, but eh, there's no disease, there's not a lot of stress, there's not a board or geography to worry about. It is just getting those cards to the right people and choosing what actions who can do. You can tell that Kim Joy loves a game though, because there's some more here than I expected, but we'll get to this in a moment. The core of the game is talking to your friends about how you can use your actions together to get what you need to do done. There's no use in one player collecting all of the right ingredients, but one. That's just a handful of not being able to take that final action. Thankfully, you can trade cards, but that's an entire action in itself. This is enough though to get people passing around, asking for favors and planning for eventual efficiency. It's gentle, sometimes it's obvious, but it really does end up feeling and sounding like a busy turn-based kitchen. The really lovely topping though is that the game comes with what I initially thought was quite an unlikely addition. Yes, this tiny pink adorable game comes with a campaign mode. There's a narrative that takes you through a series of little wrinkles that keep the game interesting. I was kind of cynical about this, but there's something really, really quite sweet here. Not least, because the first thing that happens in your first episode, there's the arrival of an unruly and demanding cat that will sit on the counter and get in your way until it's given some affection. It's lovely and it's observant and it's, it's funny. The nicest touch here is that the cat card itself is what represents the cat in your kitchen. It will sit astride a random pair of recipes and you won't be able to make those recipes unless you take an entire action to give the cat a little cuddle and move it to the left or right. It will always be blocking something, but you can spend your time nudging it around to make it go in the right place. And you don't even feel bad about it because you know that fundamentally all you're doing is cuddling a cat. It's elegant and silly and sweet. Like, honestly, I feel bad for spoiling the surprise for people of the fact that that first card, you read the rules and then it tells you you've just got to lay it over some of the other cards. But it's elegant. That one idea was enough to make me hope that this bakery finds its way to the right people, the people who have got the family who will be into this sort of thing, the people who want something that mixes these elements and gives you just a little gentle challenge to complete together, a little conversation. It's probably really vulnerable to someone bossing around and telling everyone what to do. But yeah, don't do that. Keep it cosy. Have a nice time. And maybe actually that will let you play with really little kids who won't have a clue what to do. And you can tell them and help them and gently prod them in the right direction. And they'll still get the joy of everyone winning together. This isn't everything though. The manual suggests loads of challenge combos. That cat might still be sneaking up on your counter while a cheeky fox is trying to steal all of your eggs. I think I haven't played all of this stuff, but I think the difficulty could ramp up quite high here. Like this is clearly not just a cash in. There is thought and care in this. It's not just someone was like, oh, Kim Joyce, cool. Let's put a thing on it. I think this was 
it feels to me like it's genuinely Kim Joy wanted to make something special because she thought she had something to offer and, and the game's really sweet. Anyway, 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 this bakery's got a little bit hectic. How about we finish up our little cosy trip with a walk in the woods? Yeah, we've got some food. Let's have a wonder. Let's go on a hike. Let's see what nature we can find, what birds we can see, what animals we will discover. Maybe there's little trinkets scattered around the floor. Ooh, do you know anything about that leaf over there? That tree, is that an oak or a sycamore? Do you recognise it? I think walks are amazing. So I was really delighted when I stumbled upon the final game that we've got here, Meadow. I get the feeling that Meadow was pitched as a wingspan beater. And on a slightly different path, it may well have been. Once again, like all of these games, actually, now I think about it, you're faced with a grid of objects, cards laid out in front of you. There's a campfire nearby, and that's surrounded by places to sit with these unusual icons. Now, each player has some of these little pointy signpost things, the sort you might find attached to a fence post somewhere around the woods. Those fence posts have a little point on them, and there's little notches in the main board where there is this grid of cards depicting landscapes and animals and plants. These notches line up with the columns and rows, and so what you do is you look at your signs, you see, oh, I've got a one, a two, a three, a four, and then you take the two and you put it on the right-hand side of the board, on the second row down and that means you're going to go two columns in to the board and take the card from there. This reduces the options for other people, not just because you've just taken a card, although you will be replacing it with something new, but because that notch is no longer available for anyone else that turn. Now if someone did want to go to exactly the same space, they're fine because they can go on the other side and choose their three and then that will mean that they can take the card that's gone into the space that you've just taken but then is there another option well yes there's some notches at the bottom so you can do the three there and you'd be able to take that card again although again it would be a new card because someone else has taken it but then at that point that place is completely blocked off now, it's not going to happen exactly like that most of the time. Really, this is just an arbitrary limitation to what you will be able to grab. It limits how much choice you have. Early on in the game, early on in a round, you can take whatever you want. And even though there will be a full complement of cards in front of you, you will be limited to only a couple that you can actually reach. This kind of rounding down of a decision space is really useful in terms of speeding things up. But it also allows you to be pre-planning for other things because you will know what is available next time. It's a nice, elegant system and a curious decision. Now, when you take these cards, you can play one that's already on your hand, including the one you just picked up. Now, this was one of the blocks in this game. One of the like less cozy things was that exactly how you place these cards is a little bit complicated, and a little bit poorly explained in the rulebook. But once you've got to the core of it, it's a very lovingly structured set of rules and you are building a little ecosystem. I still don't quite understand how going for a long hike there and back builds me a meadow and makes an ecosystem. Like going for walks in the countryside isn't fundamentally a green activity. It just tends to be more carbon neutral than other activities. Also, the more people value countryside and nature, the more people try to save the world from all of the awful things. But like, yeah, there should be plenty of reasons for that. And I don't know if that's enough of a justification. It doesn't matter, though, because 
because you've got this reason to collect things and look at things and bring them there, you do find that this game really represents both ecosystems and lovely walks. There's clever mechanical ideas and warm structural decisions running through this whole design. So how do the cards work? Well, first of all, you need to get some landscape cards. And these are the only cards that don't require you to have something else already. Each landscape will grant you two symbols, whether the landscape is grassy or rocky or something else, and what basic stuffs of life live there. It tends to just be grubs or bugs or worms or something, but with small acorns, right? Any other card you want to place will have something that they need. They will either want to be in a particular landscape and so in the column with a card that's got one of those symbols on, or a specific type of food that they need to eat. Sometimes both, sometimes something else. And the food, when you place this new thing, you have to put it, oh look, this little bird here, it eats grubs, so I'm going to put it on top of the grub card. Now that covers the symbol of that grub. That grub's been eaten. You, you can't eat a grub twice, as I did learn when I was a bird. I don't know. You lay the card over it, the icon's gone, and yeah, you've now got birds though, and maybe something eats birds. Is it a nice little bird that can be eaten by a bigger bird? not impossible. This constant layering over of these cards is a really clever way to represent food chains. You end up thinking about what is eating what, you end up even like generating tiny little stories about exactly how something happens. These simplified food chains aren't just about eating too. Sometimes a larger bird will need a big enough tree to sit in and it won't want to share that tree thinking about why one animal might need another nearby even if it isn't going to eat it actually helps you think about how a meadow works it is making you think about these ecosystems i love this game for giving you a lens on that and also for allowing me to get excited about finally getting together the right sort of thing to invite a duck to come hang out only to realize that i'm about to persuade a fox to eat that duck that's life ba -da -ba -ba. Oh, that was a bit overexcited. Hopefully you can see some of the cleverness and it's not getting lost in the weeds. Some of this is overcomplicated, but there's a real charm in building a tableau that feels like it represents something, tells the little stories about these animals interacting with each other. There's houses and buildings too, little cottages and road tiles you collect to let you find buildings out on the walk which unsettlingly give you a space to find trinkets like maps and watches, which might make this game a little bit more than I expected about rural burglary. But let's not think about that. Let's assume you're just collecting stuff and returning it to its owners for some reason. Building your own private ecology and then heading to the campfire to tell stories. This is one of the things I really love. This game is a love letter to hiking, and it uses this for a splendid bit of theming. To make sure that the bigger creatures come out of the deck at the right time, you start the game taking cards from the east, west, and south decks, but halfway through, you head back and switch the south deck out for the north, with those bigger value cards in it. This is adorable. It's completely mechanical in terms of making sure that there's different cards at different points. Like, you know, there's a dry explanation for this, but by labeling them south and north, you do get this sense of coming back and it's a little bit later. And so the forests have got a bit more full of those, ooh, slightly more intimidating animals. That's exciting. 
It also helped sell one of my favourite bits of the storytelling in this game, which I am kind of making up myself. You see, there's a fire pit board surrounded by seats and symbols. Each of those seats can be occupied by one of three tokens held by each of the players. These provide a lovely dollop of points, but each of these seats can only be claimed by someone who has collected the matching symbols on either side of these seats. My perfect and delightful, if I do say so myself, headcanon for this is that on the walk, you chat with your fellow hikers about their interests. While you're doing this, you book a seat for yourself and your pals on the way back. But you've got to make sure you sit next to the people that like the right sort of stories, yeah? I want to sit between a person who loves big wolves and the person that likes mushrooms. They've already got their seat, so I'm going to sit in between them because I've seen loads of mushrooms and I've seen a big wolf. If I want to tell them about that hallucinating hound that had had a few too many of those mushrooms, I know where I need to sit. Can I get there before anyone else? Well, if I've got the right things and I've got a sign at the right time and the special ability on the sign gets triggered when it gets put onto that table and so on and so forth. It's cosy. That sending things to a campfire, it's just the same as it would be if it was, oh yeah, if you match these two symbols in your thing, you can take this space. But by arranging them like that, I end up thinking about the stories you tell on a hike, the things you learn about people. That's always been my favourite thing about a walk in the countryside. Oh, no, wait, no, wait, there's more, there's more, there's more. That feeling of walking along in a group of hikers is glued together by a decision that I kind of keep questioning. I've sat on a secret for this whole time I've been talking about this game. The birds and insects and mushrooms and mammals and wolves and birds of prey and every landscape and trinket and building and cottage and little birdhouse. Every one of these illustrations is gorgeous. There's just a couple of little icons on it, a beautiful picture of a shrew taking up almost the entire card. Does it say shrew on it? No, it doesn't. I am very deeply on the record about how much I love saying the names of the birds in Wingspan, reading those little facts and celebrating the joy of learning. It does take up a lot of space on those cards though to have all of that information. The pictures are actually quite small. Do you get to really look at those birds? I mean, they are such gorgeous drawings. How do I feel about these cards that don't have these labels? Well, when I was first flicking through them, I was like, oh, they're really pretty, but I don't even know what that is. But, but, and this is what I love, and this is what I think is the most like going on a hike or the best sort of hike. When I've played this game with people so far, I've had the delight of playing with horticulturists and farmers, people who deeply love nature and the world around them. These deeply nerdy folk, also absolute dreamboats, may I add, are particularly good company on a country hike. These are the sort of people who, when you see something pretty, will tell you what it is called. Now, if you've got one of those players at your table, you can ask them. This game delivers that feeling with those people. Each card is illustrated clearly and the whole table can make a guess at what animal is portrayed. Those names, those Latin names, those facts, they are all there, but they're tucked in a little guidebook. An extra rule book gives you an inventory of every card in the game and tells you the information you might be looking for about these animals 
This means that if you just want to look at the pictures, you can just look at the pictures. If you see something you're curious about, you can reach for the guidebook and look it up. You can give it to the nerdy person or you can keep it away from the nerdy person so they've got to work out while you're looking and finding out the facts and can catch them out on it. It is a bit like bringing a guidebook on a hike, but you're not on a hike, you're at a table. It's fine to just spend a little bit of time reading in between and passing that role around while people take and think about their turns gives people an opportunity to feel engaged. One of the groups I played with insisted that every time a card was played, we would look at at least one of the things and just read out the facts. Oh, I love it. I love the passion for the countryside that this game has. I love the delightful half-filled narrative and the carefully sketched and occasionally unrealistic ecosystem connections. The game is fiddlier than it needs to be. The board looks a bit drab, especially with the cards on top of it. Um, to be honest, some of the graphics on it are a, a little bit phoned in. Uh, the card art is a little old fashioned, but I really enjoy it. I think they're really beautiful illustrations. The whole game could probably have been edited down into something sharper, but for a gently meandering hike of a game, I still think it's well worth a look. It definitely took longer than I thought it should have when I was playing it. Not so long that it was weary, but like, I guess it, I guess it's a hike thing, isn't it? You go on a hike and sometimes your feet are just a little bit too sore afterwards. Oh God, I can't let just one other cute thing about this game, can I? Maybe, maybe just a little one. The sun's getting low and we'd better head home with all of these glorious games that we've found. Meadow's final adorable touch isn't world-changing, but it tells me, like Kim Joy did, that the designer really cares about this game. You see a lot of games recently, the game has little envelopes in it that promise mini-expansions to wrinkle the gameplay if you get bored with it. Open after a criteria has been fulfilled. So far, so fine. We have seen this now. We love it. Quinns loves an envelope, but does it really warrant this little adorable Columbo moment where I'm just like, oh, just one last thing about the lovely meadow? Well, yes, because I'd adore to see this sort of thing in more games. It's a huge upgrade from the jokey first player rule that we quite often see. Most of the envelopes in meadow are tied to real world things, not in game things. There's one to open on the first day of spring. There's one to be opened the first time you visit a national park or after you went to the forest and saw a wild animal. It's perfect and adorable and delightful, a lovely present for those who fall for the rustic charms of this game. It gives you an excuse to get this game out again and it gives you an excuse to go and have an explore. Think about the world about you. Right, it is time to pack our bags and head home. Thanks for joining me on this little trip. I've got to be honest with you, none of these games are going to be my favourites. Like a good trip, I'm going to remember this time I had with them, but not necessarily want to go back and walk the same path again. That won't be the same for everybody. I'm sure that there were people who can find loads and loads to, to explore in these. It just depends on what excites you. Maybe I'm going to come back to Meadow and I would never turn down a game of any of them. Although weirdly, Meadow's probably the one that I would turn down because I'd be like, oh no, do you know what, I'm a bit tired and it's going to be a bit too long and like, can we just have a lie down and play something simpler? The reason I wanted to do this cosy corner is because these games just felt 
cozy, they felt comfortable. Like if you are looking for an experience with not too much jostling and overthinking, but you are still playing a game, you are still thinking. These games all wrapped me in a blanket and said, you love doing things with your friends. That's 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 what we're here for. You you want to bake food with your friends. You want to go to garden centers or for a walk in the woods with your friends. You want to play board games with your friends. That's why you do this. It's quite possible that, to be honest, this podcast has been delayed enough that these are among the first games I got to play with people who I had not seen in a very long time. These reminded me how joyful it is to be sat around a table looking at a picture, doing a little puzzle and laughing with people you care about. Cozy isn't really about baked goods and flowers and me probably failing to do ASMR. It's not even about a walk. It's about being with yourself, with the people you care about. And that's board games. Thank you for joining me, Ava Foxfort, on this strange little episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Let us know what you think. It's an experiment and we've never done anything like this before. Uh, so we'd like to know whether you think this is a nice thing, whether you'd like to hear more of it, whether you'd like it to be shorter or longer or something else entirely. Thank you so much for listening, coming on a walk and listening to me ramble about rambling for a while. I've uh, really enjoyed myself, actually. It's... Uh, a very good vibe. Thanks a lot for listening and I hope to see you again soon. I can't see you actually, it's a podcast, but you know, you know what I mean. Bye.